29% of uh, transgender folks said that a doctor or other healthcare provider actually refused to see them because of their actual or perceived gender. Happiness, success, freedom, energy, fun, balance, strength, peace. It all stems from our physical and emotional well-being. You're in the right place for a healthy discussion with experts to show you the way. This is Be Well, a podcast from Crossover Health. Not sick is not enough. Being well is a movement to get the most we want out of life. In each of our episodes, we pick a health or lifestyle topic, bring in one of our doctors from the front lines, and have a real conversation. Be well, do good, enjoy life. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Dan Lord, Program Director at Crossover Health. You're in the right place for a healthy discussion. Just a reminder, the following presentation is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Please do not apply any of this info without first speaking to a doctor. Today, I have a very special guest, Dr. Matthew Chester, psychologist, um, who uses pronouns he, him, his. Before joining Crossover Health, Dr. Chester earned his bachelor's degree in psychology from Texas Tech University and his PhD from the University of Texas at Austin. He completed his pre-doctoral residency at Duke University, where he worked to establish transgender care guidelines for the university as well as LGBT medical home for Durham residents. After his work at Duke, Dr. Chester completed his postdoctoral fellowship in primary care at the VA North Texas, largest VA system in the country, where he established a sexual orientation and gender diversity clinic for veterans. Matt, welcome. Hello. How's it going, man? Thank you. That introduction was a lot of words, wasn't it? <laughs> well, you've done a lot and you've really dedicated your professional career to LGBT health. Yeah. Why why is this so important to you? Yeah, I was thinking about that before we started this podcast and almost thinking to myself, well, this is almost going to be like a queer boot camp for folks during the, <laughs> the podcast. And um, you know, even hearing that term queer queer boot camp, I was like, you know, there may be some listeners who hear that and are like, did did he just say a bad word? And um it's really interesting even the history of the word queer, it, you know, historically has been used as an insult. And then the community has kind of reappropriated that term. They've, they've actually taken it back in some sense. And it's they now, own the term now. They own the term now. And so especially you might even see like some differences in age with folks, whereas older folks, older LGBTQ plus people may not use that term. We find that a lot of younger folks are actually adopting the identity label queer. So I kind of use that as an umbrella term. So, but that's, that's not really answering your question about <laughs> why this is important. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, you know, part of what I like to do in conversations about um, sexual orientation and gender is just to really sort of situate myself as part of that conversation. So folks know kind of where I'm coming from. So mm -hmm. um Part of that is just identifying myself. You know, I'm I'm a white cisgender gay man, as you mentioned. I use pronouns he, him, his, and I was born in the '80s. I'm a son of Southern Baptist parents, and I'm also a clinical psychologist. 
So this topic is just really relevant and important for me, both personally and professionally. You know, I've had some really interesting experiences as a gay man growing up in the South. As you were listing off my yeah. my my um, universities that I've attended, I was like, wow, I've spent a lot of time in Texas. And that's just a really interesting uh, place to be when you identify with the queer community. So um, part of the reason this is so important to me, well, one, you know, I think it should be important to everyone. Um, but part of the reason that it's just so important to me is that it's personal. And I also just feel a lot of um, kinship with the community and want to advocate for really the liberation of LGBT people everywhere. So that is my ultimate hope and, and aspiration as a psychologist and, and as a gay man. So thank you, Matt. You know, we're talking about labels a little bit here. You mentioned the word queer. You mentioned the word LBGTQ. And I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable right now. I don't know what labels to use. Yeah. Um, as a straight man, that's, I guess, my sexual orientation, right? But this LBGT group is all kind of lumped together. And then you use the word queer on top of it, which I completely agree. I always thought that was not appropriate or a insulting, a slur. Mm -hmm. So I'm confused now but I, I'm talking to the right person. Yes. Well, confusion, I think can be a normal experience because what we refer to is kind of the alphabet soup, this acronym LGBTQIA plus um, acronym keeps growing and changing. And even the language around how we discuss gender and sexual orientation changes all the time. So um, really there are, uh, within the community, there's so many different identities. So there's um, sexual orientation, which is about sort of who you're attracted to um, romantically, sexually. And then there's gender identity, which is sort of the felt sense of your own gender and how you identify in terms of your gender and also how you express your gender, um, kind of the way that you go about presenting yourself to the world. So the really the terms, you know, I think um, it can be difficult to keep up with all the rapid changes, but I use the term LGBTQ plus as a broad term to really as an umbrella term to describe everyone as part of that who's in that community. Um, I use queer the same way um, to describe all folks who are part of that community. Um, and also there's this term uh, transgender, which can also be sometimes used as, a, as an umbrella term for folks who are queer in their, in their gender identity. So it can be a lot to keep up with. I guess, I, you know, I wonder, do you have any specific questions about like those labels or well, yeah, their use? I do, I, I'll, I'll maybe qualify a little bit more. Um, the umbrella that you talked about doesn't include me because I'm straight. Does that mean that I'm normal and then that group is abnormal? Like, obviously that doesn't mean that, but I think to some it could easily mean that, that these this category means it's abnormal or LBG or the word queer. And I certainly think that that's not the message. So I'd love for you yeah. to like maybe go there a little bit. Well, part of what it means to identify as queer is constantly having to think about your own identity 
and how you go about presenting that identity to the world and even how you understand that identity yourself. Um, you know, you're right that straight is not part of the acronym, so it's not LGBTQS. Um, yeah. <laughs> although, uh, a there, there's been sometimes there's been an A added to the the acronym, which can mean asexual. It can also mean ally, um, which ally may stand for someone who's straight or cisgender. But to your question about you know what's normal, I mean. I, Everyone has a sexual orientation. So Mm -hmm. whether Mm -hmm. you are queer or straight, you have a sexual orientation. I would say probably one of the primary differences is that queer folks just have to think about that on a more regular basis. Um, I mean, even this idea of coming out, like to use myself as an example, even coming on this podcast is a form of me coming out. And, um, I suppose that you just also had some practice in coming out as straight just now. Um, although I'm not sure how much you've maybe had to do that in, in your life as a straight this man. This is the first time. Yeah. <laughs> so where, whereas me coming out as gay has been something that's been a repeated experience in my life. And there's even this concept in psychology called what we call strategic outness, which is the process by which queer folks go about making these determinations about when to come out, how to come out, whether to come out. Um, And it can just be a lot. And and when you say come out, when you say come out, is that about gender identity or is that about sexual orientation or is that both? It could be about both. So with sexual orientation and gender identity, these, these are two different concepts, but there is some, overlap and sort of, you know, um, how they operate together. Um, so coming out is an experience that can be shared from folks who are genderqueer or, um, who are queer in their sexual orientation, you know? Uh, so someone for instance, may come out as a lesbian. Someone may come out as gay. Someone may also come out as transgender, genderqueer, non-binary. Um, so, Coming out can be thought of as a broad process that's shared by both folks, um, by both both sexual orientation and gender. Um, I'm going to share a little bit more of a personal experience. In my own family, there's someone who is transgender, was born a male and identifies as a female, but their sexual identity she likes women mm-hmm. and she uses she. Mm-hmm. And so we have always supported her and loved her no matter what, of course, but just understanding the differences between gender identity and sexual orientation and that, yes, they're related, but you can't just put a label on someone and say, well, then you're this way. And then supporting them and understanding how to come out, how to talk about it, how to be part of the family and community in this new way. That was definitely some work. Yeah, um, I can so imagine. It's been a learning process, and uh, I think it's something that everybody should really learn about and be open to and, and understand because um, I'm on that path right now. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, and I think it highlights something that's so important that you said about labels, which is that really – 
the determination of what someone considers themselves is really up to them. Mm -hmm. And coming out is kind of a two part process. I mean, it's, it's coming out to oneself, which is really sort of the, Mm. the process of coming to understand one's own sexual identity or gender identity and, and, all the process that can go into that and exploration of sometimes something that's really scary for folks, um, which is sort of the private coming out. It's a private self-identification, but then you also have a more public identification of one's identity, which some people choose not to do. Some people Mm -hmm. choose not to come out. Um, Other people choose to come out in certain contexts or in certain environments. Um, And there used to be this idea that coming out was just like a one-time event. Like you come out, you throw the, you throw the party and (laughs) then it's over. And that is not in fact the reality for queer people. The reality is that coming out is a lifelong developmental process um, where you're coming out repeatedly in multiple relationships at work, family, uh, at school, you name it and there's likely going to be a time or a decision point that someone wants to make um, around that. Since we're in queer boot camp right now and and, um, we are here, you know, I'm training hard. Yes. What else do, do I need to know about supporting someone who's coming out? What are the things that are really key there that a family member should know? Yeah. One of the most important ways to really support someone who identifies as part of the queer community is to challenge yourself to learn some of this material on your own. I mean, there can be such a a high degree of a burden placed on the folks who are occupying those identities to be the ones to provide the education in addition to the sheer sort of emotional labor of having to come out repeatedly. It's a really good point. And so something that I always encourage for folks is like, if you're, if you're having difficulties with a particular aspect of identity, like Google is a really good place to start. I mean, there, there's, <laughs> you know, there are some places on the internet that might not have the best information, but there are some reputable resources out there that you can really learn yourself kind of what some of the challenges are for this community and also the strengths of the community. Yeah. Yeah. I want to circle back to your career, your profession, how has you being a gay man influenced your practice as a psychologist and, and what do you, what do you apply based on that? Yeah. I love that question. Um, really what it means to me to be a gay man in a lot of ways impacts the way that I relate to other people, which is at the core, really what I'm doing as a psychologist is trying to relate to another person's experience and, and help them through, you know, part of, part of what becomes really important in that equation and process for me is to really empathize with folks who are experiencing discrimination, Mm. who are going through adversity and challenge, who are encountering a situation that feels insurmountable. 
Um, those are experiences that growing up gay in the South, I certainly experienced and felt a lot of those things. Um, and it only sort of increased for me, my compassion for folks experiencing similar things. And that's, you know, that's not only for queer people, that's also for straight folks who experience adversity and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately I really wanted to make sure that as a psychologist entering into healthcare, that I provide really great quality care to my community. And there are some problematic nature, there's a problematic nature in healthcare of homophobia and transphobia that I really work to dismantle. And um, it's, so I would say, yeah, I don't know that I really answered your question, but those are the a, a few. Yeah, things well, that came talk to my more mind. about how you dismantle. Well, um, for instance, you know, one of the things that I looked up in starting to to prepare for this podcast is really, you know, what are the experiences that queer folks are having when they go for healthcare visits? You oh, know? yeah. Um, and and there's a lot of statistics about this. There's a lot of information. And there were just two there were two things that I wanted to share with the listeners of this podcast, which is that folks who are LGB, so lesbian, gay, and bisexual, um, nine in, in a study done in 2017 of a nationally representative sample, so across the United States, nine percent said that they had a doctor or healthcare provider use harsh or abusive language when treating them specific to their sexual orientation. So 9%. So that's, you know, that's, yeah. Uh, 0% would be the goal. Sure. Um, 9% is 9% too many. Now, if we look at trans folks, um, things only get worse for that particular population. So um, one of the more staggering statistics is that 29% of uh, transgender folks said that a doctor or other healthcare provider actually refused to see them because of their actual or perceived gender. So because um, of their gender identity, they were actually denied services. Do you have any sense of the root causes behind that? Because that's... It's hard to hear. It's probably related to individual attitudes and beliefs about queer people that the provider Mm -hmm. holds. It's an individual responsibility for providers to examine their own biases and attitudes and beliefs. Mm -hmm. But it's also a function of our um, healthcare education system to be preparing providers for engaging with these populations. One of the things that I've learned from you and and I know to be true about your practice is you not only focus on the mental health side of this, but also about how do you build resilience and Mm -hmm. and actually how do you thrive? This shouldn't be about like getting by because you're in this marginalized group and this is what, no, we want people to thrive and live their best life. Um, As cheesy as that sounds, it is absolutely what live, we're about, right? Live your best queer live life. Your, yes. That is that is what we want. And and so and but how does that work in your practice? How do you apply those principles? Well, I have lots of thoughts about this question. So one is that I think as part of the makeup as queer people, there is a process of building resilience 
Um, that's kind of just like ordinary magic of everyday life that is required when you identify as queer. Um, and, ordinary and that, magic of everyday life. Ordinary magic of everyday life. I can't take credit for that expression. It actually comes from some research on resilience. Um, and it's kind of like building adversity through those experiences really builds inner strength um, for the patients that I work with. And that's something that I've noticed. Um, and part of the, part of the change in view for me is like, okay, well, why did we have to build resilience in the first place? Which just goes back to what we were just talking about, Mm -hmm. which is encountering stigma. It's encountering discrimination. What research refers to as minority stress. Those are the things that in a lot of way are breeding some of this resilience for queer folks. And so I try to envision a world where um, what would it mean if we eliminated minority stress? What if we eliminated these experiences of having um, a healthcare provider who rejects you or a family member who rejects you or um someone who says something derogatory or calls you a slur. I mean, these things about changing really the systems and the the world in which we live, I mean, these are maybe lofty goals, but that's really how I think about what would what would that look like for folks? Um, mm-hmm. So there's the part of like how do queer people build resilience, which is done, I think, organically through living a life that you identify as queer. Um, but then there is this other portion of the equation, which is how do we get other people like you, Dan, involved kind of and, and roped in on our side to help um, improve quality of life in other areas so that we don't have to encounter some of this minority stress. Thanks, so, Matt. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I hope that I'm surviving queer boot camp and, and I appreciate you taking me through it, it's it's really important to have these conversations. One of the things that you said really rang true to me, some of these uh, terms and labels are evolving. Yes. It's certainly up to us as healthcare providers. We have a responsibility to do our own research and understand so that we can, you know, meet people where they are is the easy way of saying that, but truly mm-hmm. help people in the way that they deserve. So, so thanks so much for talking to me today. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. Thanks so much. It was super insightful. Um, love to have you back to talk more if that's okay. Yeah, I'd be happy to come back anytime. This is just Queer Boot Camp Part 1. There we go. There we go. So I'd like to transition now into some rapid-fire questions that we ask all of our guests. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, go for it. You're, you're on the hot seat. Okay, um, I'm ready. Quick answers. We have 30 seconds. Bring what on. is your favorite podcast at the moment? Um, so that would be, um, this is sort of a professional curiosity. It's called The Shrink Next Door. It's uh, it's about a very unethical <laughs> mental health practitioner. So uh, speaking of talking about healthcare ethics, yeah, The Shrink Next Door is a very interesting podcast. What's one thing you do every day to stay healthy? Mm. I love to weightlift. Very nice, very nice. Yeah. Uh, free weights or, or Olympic lifting? 
I wish that I trusted myself enough to Olympic lift, but no, it's usually um, dumbbells, barbells, uh, things of that nature. Very good. Very good. What's your guilty pleasure? It's bluebell. It's ice cream for sure. And it's called cookie two step actually. Oh man. I haven't tried that, but I am an ice cream person as well. So I will have to check it out. Yeah. It's, um, cookies and cream with cookie dough bites mixed in. So you definitely need to, need that to get sounds, on that. Yeah. sounds ridiculous. It's pretty great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Anyone 18 or over in the United States can be a Crossover Health member. At Crossover, you stay connected to a care team that works together and gets to know you over time. A doctor, a nurse, a mental health expert, a physical therapist, a chiropractor, a health coach, a fitness coach, and a care navigator. Go to crossoverhealth.com to join the healthcare revolution. If you like our podcast, please follow or subscribe and leave a review. If you have a topic you want us to explore, let us know on Facebook or Instagram at Crossover Health. Until next time, be well.